announcement. If you were trying to watch us, we are live. If you were trying to watch us uh, Sunday, our feed went down. That's why we weren't live. But the Sunday service where Brother Steve Ferguson was here is up and running now. So all of you that were trying to watch that service. So we're going to go back to Exodus 31. So it's good to see everybody. It's a day the Lord has made. So I'm excited. You know, we win either way, right? Whether he leaves us here or takes us on. So to live as Christ, to die as gain, we, uh, the game's fixed for us. Let's pray and let's get into Exodus 31. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all your love and mercy. We thank you for your long-suffering, your kindness, your benefits, your mercy, your grace, salvation, the Holy Spirit, your word, everything you do, and every good and perfect gift has come from you. May we live with that reality. May we not take anything for granted, any of us, me, any of us. May we realize that transportation, food, clothing, shelter, water, air, everything is from your hand. And we just give you praise, Lord, and uh, we ask that we would be mindful and stay humble. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll read a little bit here, and I want to focus on a couple of things uh, that I think are relevant to us in the New Testament because there's questions, questions surrounding that. Uh, but in verse 1 it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, <coughs> the son of Uriah, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and work in all manner of workmanship. So God skilled him at that. And you can tell God skills different people to do different things. We're all different parts of the body, but we're fitly joined together. And some parts are more visible, some are less visible. Uh, But we all have a a place. And like with the body, the natural body, we all know the value of having a big toe for balance. And uh, so even though nobody's, people's toes are rarely seen (laughs) because they're tucked away in a shoe, uh, it's visible. All of us have uh, nose hairs that are rarely seen unless you, as you get older, you have to guard against because they start showing up. <laughs> uh, the, the hairs in your ears, right? Uh, I have a wonderful uh, person that takes care of my hair and stuff, and they take care of all that, you know? So <laughs> tweezers and everything, they, they, it hurts. <laughs> but I realize they're just taking care of me. And because my mug shot's seen a lot, so they take, do take pains to take care of me. Uh, but, you know, all those things that are hidden, uh, <clears throat> you know, that uh, are important to our health and to the body. So the same is true of the body. And uh, the value of somebody, I think, um, I forget the, uh, somebody's going to know this, the artist who painted the door uh, with Jesus outside of the door, no handle. And he was questioned about, that he'd made a mistake, basically, that he'd left the handle off the door. And he said, no, the handle's on the inside. Right. I stand at the door and knock. It's up to us to open, right, and let him in. So 
what that says. You know, I love art. <clears throat> I've grown to like it over the years and realize the value of it, you know. I can look at a picture and go somewhere. If the artist is good, right? I can't go somewhere with some of these guys that throw paint on the wall. <laughs> but, but if the artist is good, and, and so God can skill people to do all kinds, whether it's music or, or crafting here. And they say uh, the two people you need to know in your life, for sure you need to know them personally, is your doctor and your jeweler. Because the way they make jewelry now, you and I would never know if it's real or not if you couldn't trust your jeweler. Think about it. In fact, the guy I've used my whole life, my children using them, they've been, it's a generational thing and it's a close friend of mine. But he said, these diamonds that are lab grown, he said, I, I have to test them. He said, you know, they've got this thing that they know what to look for to tell the quality, he said, I have to take and test them. Uh, so it's not just, it's not a look test anymore. They're that good at growing diamonds. And uh, he explained all that to me one day. He, was telling, he said, the, a lab-grown diamond is still a, technically a diamond, but <clears throat> it will never go up in value. He said, the only thing a lab-grown diamond will do is go down in value. And, and he said it may not, but it's all about supply and demand. So you, he said the more of those they make or grow, the market gets more and it will cause the value. It's not like a diamond that God grows out in the ground. He said, but here's the catch. He said, nobody will ever know that it wasn't grown out in the wild. He said, they're that good at it. He said, in fact, some of those diamonds are flawless. And he said, you would rarely find a flawless diamond out in the wild. And he said, so they're really good at it. And if you, he said, if it's not an investment, if you're just wanting to wear nice looking jewelry, he said, those lab grown diamonds are as pretty as any of them, prettier than most. He said, because they can manipulate it. <clears throat> so I think about all that. I hear spiritual messages in all that, right? You know, when you think about all that and, and the vac So they are, God does skill people to do all kinds of things. I, and I like to encourage people in that. You know, you hear these stories years ago of this woman who started teaching Sunday school when she was 22 and taught it till she was 85 and all the lives she's impacted. She was never out front on the platform. She was never on TV, or anything, but she was faithful to be at that class every Sunday teaching those little children. And, and God gifts people in different ways, right? He gifts people to do certain things. And here he gifted somebody to cut jewels. And that's why you need to know your doctor and your jeweler, right? Because they, you know, they could pass you off something. A lab-grown ruby looks just like a real one that's out in the wild. I mean, it's, uh, it's just amazing what they do. And indeed, I have appointed with him a holy, uh, a holy ob, the son of a Hishamak uh, of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony and mercy seat that is on it. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago, how the, these guys beat gold so fine that they used it as thread on the priest garment, on the high priest garment. So that took some work because there's no modern equipment, right? So you takes patience, right? 
so they were good at what they did. Uh, and he says, uh, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat, and all the furniture of the tabernacle. Verse 8 says, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand, pure gold, not 14 carat. <laughs> Uh, pure gold lampstand, all its utensils, and altar of incense. The altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, the laver and its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments of Aaron, the priest, and the garments of the sons to minister as priest, and the anointing of the oil and sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. So these guys have been gifted by God to do physical work. And God still does that, right? I mean, it's amazing how he used Daniel. Put him in a situation, raised him up in that in a pagan. It's amazing how he used Moses, right? And it's our nature, it's human nature, especially in the kind of culture we live in in this world, to be overprotective, you know. You would be hard-pressed to find Christian families that wouldn't fight against God. I'm just trying to be real here. When God says, I'm going to take your son and let somebody else raise him in Egypt. I mean, most people would say, I think so. My child's going, not going over there. Them people are nuts, right? And it's, it's a hard thing sometimes that God gets out of our box and he does things that are unorthodox, maybe things that we wouldn't necessarily say. And my family went through that a couple of years ago. We wrestled with all that, you know, <clears throat> with losing someone that, looks like it's not a very Christian situation. But we have to trust the Lord, right? And we have to know that here's what I try to remind myself. <clears throat> I don't love anybody even close to how much the Lord loves them. He loves people way more than we do. He has the capacity to love with, with pure love, with no motive at all, nothing tweaking. He's just pure love coming from God. So the person I want to see saved, born again, God loves them more than I do. And that, that gives me comfort, right? Uh, that he, if he loves them more than I do, and he's certainly far more gifted at reaching people than we are, we have our part, but nobody can take the place of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit can do a work on somebody in 10 seconds that we may have been working on for 10 years. So we, we can't operate independent of him. And we certainly don't have a greater love than he does. So that gives me comfort. It also gives me comfort when somebody may pass away that I wasn't sure about their position with the Lord. You know, because I know God is fair and just and righteous. He cannot do wrong. He cannot tell a lie. So anybody that's going to stand before him, they're going to be judged right. He's, so nobody, I like to say it this way, nobody's going to be in hell that ain't supposed to be there. So I wish everybody was going to heaven. But, you know, the, the vision that the guy had at the satellite that I shared with you all last night was pretty powerful. Uh, I'm going to share it again here right now because I think it's that... That makes the eight, 17th, I think, or 18th person in the last month and a half, either in this church, in the satellite church, or in my circle, 
of people who've had a vision or a dream about the, the Lord coming back. I've never had that many people do that in that short a span. Uh, some of them, a couple of them were children. So, but this guy down at the satellite, uh, he had these dreams back to back. The first one was that he saw a few people going up like a whirl, like a whirlpool going up into heaven, uh, like they were being raptured out of here. <clears throat> and he said just a few days later, he had another dream, and both of these dreams took place in the same community. That was interesting. He said the next dream he had, saw a large truck and, and there was an extra large human, two of them. One of, he said they looked like what you'd read about Goliath. They were way bigger than average men. And one of them was driving the truck, mass, and the other one was green, kind of cynical. And they had a truckload of people screaming, saying, somebody help us, we're, we're in hell, we're going to hell. And he said the truck was full of people heading out of the community. And he, and, I, and he was asking me, I said, well, the significance I see is, number one, is that he said both those dreams happen in the same community. And I said, that's the first thing. There are a few people in every community that are going to be going. There's going to be a lot of people in that same community going straight to hell. I said, that's, that's a message to all of us, right? That would be Danville. That would be Harrodsburg. That would be Stanford. That would be Lancaster. It'd be Somerset, whatever. Few people in all these communities ready to go when the Lord comes back, but many of them headed the wrong way. And I said, the guy that's green, I said, you wouldn't send the Grinch. I said, because that horse in Revelation, the one that represents death, is green chlorophyll. Green represents death. Those people are on their way to the second death. And it's important for us to understand that there are people in our circle, in our communities, that are not ready to meet the Lord. I think if there's ever been a day for us to prioritize winning the lost, it's now. Because a few of people are ready. And we know, the Bible says, few are going to heaven and many are going to destruction. And that's, that's the, the 17th or 18th person in about six to seven weeks that shared something about the coming of the Lord. So we need to be faithful witnesses. Uh, so he says, all these utensils, these guys are skilled at. Now notice the next thing I want to spend a little time here. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying in verse 12, speak, verse 13, speak also to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you you shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The word rested means he ceased from labor. We know God don't get tired in the same way we would understand that. 
And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So God and Moses are having this uh, meeting. Let's go back to Exodus 20, verse 10. And let's look at what he says here in Exodus 20. Uh, let me just go back to verse 8, I guess I should say. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens of the earth and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So that's where God instituted that in the Ten Commandments. Uh, let's go over to Mark in the New Testament, chapter 2. Uh, and let's look at something there. In Mark chapter 2, he speaks of it. He speaks of it in several places. Uh, he talks about which one of us would have an animal in trouble and not rescue it on the Sabbath. Jesus talks a little bit about that. But here in verse 23 of Mark chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 23, uh, there's a little story here. It says, Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now this is Jesus, right? And his boys are out there uh, getting some jolly green giant corn. <laughs> no, they're not doing that. But, but, uh, but he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Now this is where Orthodox Jews struggle when they read something like this and try to reconcile it with what we just read in Exodus, right? That's where they struggle. I mean, and, and that's why I say it's, maybe it's easy for us to just say, what's wrong with you? Why don't you see what we see? But if you put yourself just like, and I, this is horrendous, I get it, but, you know, you start telling a two-year-old in the crib, you start telling them that to hate Israel and train them to hate them their whole life. And train them that if they kill themselves killing a Jew, that they automatically going to be in heaven or paradise with all these benefits. I mean, you train them that. You brainwash them, right? And in a sense, we're all trying to brainwash, right? I mean, in, in a sense, we are. I mean, I, I wanted to brainwash my children with the Word of God, right? I mean, you want to do that. It's a, uh, but. Uh, you see how a Jew would struggle with that, right? Jesus is coming on the scene. He's got his boys out there running through the fields. And uh, they weren't really working in the sense they weren't out there trying to profit. They were just meeting a need. And then again, when you come back to um, a, uh, 
uh, where he talks about the animal ha having an ox in a ditch, right, or whatever, that you would get out there on the Sabbath because that's your livelihood, right? You can't leave that ox in harm's way because your family's at risk if you, because that represented livelihood to them in those days, right? So you had certain things that you had to maybe get up and go do because there's a bigger picture there. And then he goes on to, he gives the illustration of David and, and then he gives the illustration of, uh, of, of how the Sabbath, or he tells us quite clearly that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So he clears something up that the Jews did not understand back in the Old Testament. Or most of them didn't. Obviously David did. Or he wouldn't have pulled that stunt, right? It's not really a stunt, but that would look like he's pulling a stunt. What business he got going in and getting that showbread? He ain't even allowed to eat that. Much less hand it off to other people and, you know. So he, Jesus is kind of telling us what David understood in the Old Testament, that it was all about personal relationship. God, God really wants a personal relationship with us. And so if you go, if you study Jewish culture, they don't really have a word for retired. What they do at some point in their life, they quit working for money. This is the way their culture was designed. And they be become a hum more like a humanitarian in their older age. They, they got their lives set. They don't have to have money for their labor, and they offer themselves as a volunteer. That's kind of how retirement was supposed to be for them. And uh, so these guys were not trying to profit. They weren't out in the fields trying to get enough stuff to make another dollar. They were just simply meeting a need. They were hungry. So if you think about the Sabbath, I'm going to take you to another place here in just a minute where Paul talks about it. But if you think about the Sabbath... Uh, um, the Sabbath, the true Sabbath starts Friday at sundown, right? And goes through Saturday evening. So uh, there are a lot of people who still dogmatically argue that. And then there are some people that are confused, just like they're confused with communion and baptism they don't they have no idea they i ran across uh somebody not too long ago again of course if you maybe been around me you've heard this many times but they didn't know that they didn't know that the jews practiced baptism and communion that actually communion was going on before the law ever came they don't understand that so these are not new things. They're not church things. They're Jesus things, right? They're all about... So everything that, that we've been given, they're supposed to show us a picture or a facet of Jesus and the Lord. And, and that's what Jesus is really trying to get across here. And so the Sabbath thing, the Jews were missing this. And so when the Messiah came, most of them missed him because they weren't seeing what God was trying to unveil to us with all of these things that were implemented about who his son was going to be. So now, you know, there are some people that ignorantly think the Sabbath is Sunday. They still think the Sabbath is Sunday because they don't study, I guess. Uh, and so they would be angry if they saw somebody cutting their grass on Sunday. Which actually Sunday is the first day of the week, right? <laughs> it's not the 
true Sabbath, then you've got those groups that recognize Saturday as the Sabbath. And of course, the Jews always practice that. They, from sundown on Friday till sundown on Saturday. So that's all part of the mix in our culture, and it causes a lot of confusion. But the first thing I want you to say, when you read something that Jesus says, start with that. And then bring everything into that. And make sure that it doesn't violate what he said. So what did he say? Here, where we're at. He said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now, let's go to, um, <clears throat> I, I think I may have wrote down the wrong, let me see if I wrote, I'll know where to go, but let me see if I wrote down the wrong uh, passage here. I'll tell you where to go in just a minute. Uh, if I didn't write down the wrong. Yeah. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 and let's go to verse 16 so Can I, let me just back up to verse 1 so we can catch this whole passage. Uh, let's go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know uh, what great conflict I have for you to those in Laodicea, and as for as many as I have not seen, as many have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Know this, that I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now, can you imagine what a chore it was to build a church in Paul's day? To fight all these this Judaism, and to say, hey, man, Christ really is the Messiah one. I mean, what a, what a, he must have been a tough dude. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. Now, when he says that, this is something I, I use, and I have a little bit of discussion about this in the last few days in different settings that, you know, uh, when I ask somebody if they're a believer, I'm going to have to change that because I get all kinds of responses. Yeah, I believe in God. Well, so does the devil. Right? I, I need to start asking people, are you a follower of Christ? Do you keep his teachings? <laughs> you know, are you just, you know, and so, and you, you all probably done the same thing. You get all kinds of responses, you know. Are you, are you a believer? Well, I go to church. <laughs> are you a believer? I'm a Baptist. <laughs> what? And I've had this. Are you a believer? My dad's a preacher. 
and you're a heathen. <laughs> you want to find out if people are actually putting on Christ like we talked about last night or following Christ or are you in Him? And Paul is trying to get this uh, as you've received Christ, Jesus Lord, so walk in Him. So follow, follow Him. If, I, if I'm going to follow Dwayne, God forbid... I'm going to go where he goes. If my mind is made up to follow him, I'm going to go where he goes. I'm going to do what he does. That's Christianity. Christianity is not my dad's a deacon at the Methodist church. That's not Christianity. Christianity is following Jesus Christ and doing what he teaches. And he says, He's rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it. With thanksgiving, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the vain deceit, which is, means empty in some cases, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. So he said, you got to be careful that men and the world's ways don't start persuading you to go. And that is probably the biggest problem the church faces in our generation. That the ways of men and the culture is not just pulling the church out into the same arena and he said you got to be careful with that and not according to Christ stick with Jesus get up and read your Bible and and I, I gave you uh, you all fresh revelation last night hold your spot here because I'm gonna go back to that <clears throat> in James uh, chapter 1 uh, let's run over to James chapter 1 real quick <clears throat> and uh, look at this uh, where he says uh, Let me find unspotted down in verse in James chapter one verse twenty seven the last verse of chapter one he says pure he says what religion is pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and we we try to be intentional about that in this body anything you see anything in the Bible that tells you specifically to do something you and I need to be involved in it. And there are several things in here. Orphans and widows. Another one is Israel. You've got to bless Israel. It's not an option. I, I tell preachers this all the time. They, I say, if you're not helping Israel, your church is not fully in the will of God. It may be partly in the will of God. It may be mostly in the will of God. But if you're not helping Israel, your church is some level of out of the will of God. And, and so you find these specific things, taking care of orphans, widows, helping Israel. We got to be involved in that. We got to do that. But he says, keep oneself, he says, and keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, when you read, that's kind of like that Psalm 84 where it says, God will not withhold any good thing from those who walk upright, right? The word upright almost sounds like somebody who don't have any trouble, who don't fail, who don't miss the mark. Same thing here. You read that word and you think, well, that's somebody that don't ever mess up, right? It's not what's being said because we all mess up. Look at your neighbor and say, you mess up. We all. I'm looking at myself. I mess up. We all miss the mark. And uh, in, in Psalm 84, that word uh, upright is tamim. You've heard me talk about it. It means to be coupled together. It's a train car, right? As long as you're coupled. That's what he's talking about. He won't withhold any good thing from those who stay coupled with him. David messed up many times. He sinned several times, but he never walked out on God. He always kept running to God for help, right? He stayed coupled. 
This word unspotted means not somebody who never misses the mark, but somebody who refuses to alter the truth. Okay? That's what, he's, that's what that word means in the Greek. It means somebody who will not alter the commandments. In other words, if I don't keep the commandment, I don't water it down and, and figure out a way around it. I just look at it and say, I sinned, I'm going to repent because that's true and I missed the mark on that. The, the, the greatest thing going is forgiveness. You don't have to run and hide when you sin. God made atonement for it. Just repent and ask Him to forgive you. It's the greatest thing in the world is forgiveness. And so that's the people we got to be. The people that he's talking about here, the ones that keep themselves unspotted from the world, are the ones that refuse to alter what this says. We don't water it down because we miss the mark. We own it. And that's, that's what he's saying there. He's saying people who refuse to alter the truth. Remember that psalm that said, a righteous man, an upright man is the one that will swear to his own hurt and not change. Somebody said, you know what? I made a promise to you and that's going to wind up costing me, but I'm going to keep my promise anyway. That's the kind of people God's looking for. People who refuse to alter the truth. I've told people this many times. You can be forgiven for an abortion, but you can't call it okay. You can't call it right. You can be forgiven. Paul said if you break the law at one point, you break the whole law. But we, we can't call breaking the law okay. That's what we're trying to get at. And that's what he's saying there in James. <clears throat> now, let's go back to uh, Colossians. Chapter 2, he said, uh, don't be caught up with the world. And verse 11 says in Colossians 2 and 11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. You hear this kind of language in Ephesians and Colossians. In him. All this stuff's in him. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out, man, that's a good word, all our trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us with this contrary to us, <clears throat> and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So he basically he's saying, he came and delivered you and gave you freedom, right? A friend of mine who's in the ministry, he was a hippie, he grew up as a hippie in California. Classic place to be a hippie back in those days. He's now a pastor in New York. And he said that he, he, he believed the lie, right? Until he came to Christ. He believed the lie that he was free. That he was living in free. But he said, looking back on it, when I was a sinner before I came to Christ, he said, all I could drink was beer. He said, that's not freedom. He said, since I got saved, I can drink tea, milkshakes, milk, water, orange juice, everything. He said, but before I was saved, I was bound. He said, all I wanted to do was drink a beer. He said, the freedom comes in Christ. And that's a shallow way to think about it, but they're not really, but a shallow way maybe to explain it. But the true freedom is in Christ. And now that you're free, 
The penalty of death has been removed from us. We have eternal life. All my sins are gone. The Bible says he forgets our sins, right? He talks about that in Hebrews, that our sins, he's forgotten them. Think about how powerful that is for God. It's hard for us to forget anything. Uh, except the things we need to remember. <laughs> where, where we put our keys. But uh, the forgetfulness, it's hard. You know, if you had an incident, a traumatic incident years ago, it's hard to just totally wipe that out. Think about the power of God to be able to just forget something. It's pretty powerful. And that's good news for us. And he says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. Given us the victory. So, he said, because that's the position you're in, he gives us some advice. He says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. He said, don't let anybody judge you. Why would he say that? Because he took this not from the misunderstanding of the Jews of the Old Testament. He's taken this from what Jesus said. He understood when Jesus said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. God wants us to rest, right? He wants us to be refreshed. So he's under, he, uh, he being a born-again believer, also very skilled in the law, understanding what Jesus said and taught, he comes, gives us this advice. He says, So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding the festival or new moon Sabbaths, which are shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And that's the point. When you see all these ordinances, communion, baptism, uh, Sabbaths, all of that, everything about that was supposed to show us relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. Now, you get a few people in the Old Testament that actually got a hold of that, David being one of them. He walked in, done something he wasn't supposed to do, but he understood. That's why God said, this guy is after my heart. What's beautiful about David is not that he didn't fail. Everybody fails. What's beautiful about David, he refused to let go of God. He stayed coupled no matter what was going on. Even when he blew it, he stayed coupled. He wouldn't, he wouldn't leave. He's like that woman in the New Testament that Jesus almost appears to be trying to turn her her way. And she said, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off the table. She refused to go. Jacob said, I'm not. Jacob was a scoundrel for a while. But he refused to let go of God. He said, let go till you bless me. He said, oh, I'm going to bless you. You're going to limp from now on. And he did. But what kind of heart is that? The heart that says, God is my everything. Listen, he's my lamb, he's my healer, he's my savior, he's my deliverer, he's my Sabbath. He's my all. Everything that we see as an ordinance that some people even think brings them salvation is all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. God sent His Son and He said, He disarmed all these principalities. And then He says, you're in a good spot because 
He took away your trespasses. He's forgiven all your trespasses. He wiped off the, the documents that were written against you. They're gone. Now when you think about this, if I could take you back to Isaiah, it's like the old stores that used to be in my neighborhood. If you, in Isaiah, he talks about the Lord being the glory and the lifter of our head. Back in those days, in a town, they would have a pole sometimes in the center of town. And if somebody owed somebody a debt and they couldn't pay it, they would put that debt on that pole, kind of a way to shame them, right? And, and like if you grew up around little country stores or community stores, sometimes they'll get a bad check or whatever, and they'll stick that thing under the piece of glass on the counter for everybody to see it when they come up that, you know, uh, so-and-so down, down the road gave us a cold check, right? And so it's just kind of a means to shame them. But sometimes... If you read Jewish culture, sometimes somebody who had the means would come and pull that piece of that debt off that pole and go pay it for the, somebody. Uh, and they would go around with their head down because of shame. But the person who paid that debt would give them the ability to raise their head and be free, free and clear from that debt. That's why they were called the lifter of their head. The devil's mad. He's trying to get in back there. <laughs> get behind me. Oh, he is already, right? So, that's what Jesus has done for us, right? We had a debt we could not pay. All those trespasses. And he came along. And he nailed that to his own tree. And took it away from us. He really is the lifter of our head. You can usually tell when somebody really gets born again because they're ashamed of their past. They don't think much about it until their eyes get open. And then they look back and they think, oh my goodness, was that really me? <laughs> and they think all the heartache they've caused themselves and other people. I've told this story before, but I think one of my <clears throat> friends who pastors in Florida he said that uh, um, they had uh, a guy who moved in there from New York. He was uh, a world-renowned hairdresser. He was a flaming homosexual. They used that term because he wanted everybody to know that's who he was. And he, he lived that lifestyle. His house burnt down in their community. And he said some of the sisters from the church <clears throat> went over to see him. Or they actually come to my friend, the pastor, and said, listen, we want to go over there and just kind of reach out to him and show him love and see if, we, uh, see if he needs anything, take him some food or whatever. And so <clears throat> people would fly from New York and all over the United States to get this guy to do their hair. Uh, I mean, he was big time in that world. And uh, <clears throat> so he, uh, they went over, and he, he came to church the following Sunday. And he said, uh, he told... Uh, told the pastor, he said, my friend, he said, I just wanted to come see the group of people that cared enough to come check on me in my time of trouble and need. And he said, he came back the next week, got saved. Then he came and he, they had three, they have three services. And he said, he started coming to first service to get fed started coming to second service to make sure he didn't miss nothing in the first service. And he started staying around for third service to help us in the parking lot. 
said he's totally transformed. He said he comes sit in my office and he said, I hate the person I used to be. He said, I can't believe that I used to live that way. But see, it doesn't matter what the sin is. We got to get over that in the church. All sin is sin and all sin is abominable to God. But all people are born in it. And some people choose to pursue it that way. Some people choose to pursue it that way. Some people choose, whatever. It's all, you break the law at one point, you break the whole law. We got to love the sinner and hate the sin. That's what we got to do. And, and, and try to help people to see that there is forgiveness. You know, listen, I don't care. People can hide it. They can lie about it. But if we're living in sin, there's so much condemnation. We all feel it. You and I feel it when we mess up, right? I mean, you feel that pressure and you think, oh, that's not right. You know, that's not how I'm supposed to be, whatever. And, and so that, there's, we just got to be the people who stand for the truth, but do it in love. Just like that church did. Fantastic. I mean, he, and that's what I see with people. I've had people come in my office, no matter, some people been thieves, you're right? Some people have been what we used to call them rounders, right? <laughs> Whatever. They've done, and I've had people say to me, Preacher, what's the Lord going to say to me? I've been so bad, what's He going to say to me when I stand? I, I love to tell them this. I say, He's going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's gone. Read Hebrews. He said, He forgets. Forgets. So, here's what I will conclude with. We'll get back into Exodus next week. I'll conclude with this fact. God has a plan for all of us. And part of that plan includes for us to be restful and refreshed. I know because of the reason we do what we do here on Thursday and, and all these other feeding times is what I like. Because shift work has taken over our culture, Right? There are people that go to this church that won't rarely be here on the weekend because they have to work every weekend. There are people that may be here this Sunday and not next Sunday. This shift work has really done, caused us, that's why the Holy Spirit put it on my heart to have different feeding times so the sheep can be fed. So I'm not, nobody's to be judged. What I would encourage you to do is to just make sure you have a little time to rest, right? Listen, if, which we know this is not true, but if Sunday is the real Sabbath, and I'm in trouble because I work all the time on Sunday. <laughs> so I'm glad Saturday is the true Sabbath. But it's really not, that's not the point. The point is that God wants you to have a time to rest and refresh. And we, you've read, some of you have read articles about the benefits to your health and all that stuff. And I know I struggle with that myself, slowing down. I get it. But God wants us to be refreshed and rest. But what He really wants us to know is that He's showing us the value of His Son with all of these things. The Sabbath just being one among many that He's showing us the beauty of having a relationship with Him through Jesus. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. Thank you for your word. I thank you for this season, and I refuse to let the world steal this season. This belongs to the church. This belongs to us as Christians. We're here to celebrate 
you sending the greatest gift the world has ever had. Your son. And because of that, we have forgiveness offered to us. We have eternal life offered to us. And we have peace that goes above all understanding offered to us. I pray that. And right now, Lord, I feel the burden to pray for children and grandchildren. So, Lord, I pray right now that as we join here today, that you'll hear our prayers as we lift our children and grandchildren up to you, that their eyes would be open to who you are and what your plan is for them and for the whole world. We want our families to see the reality of who you are and what your plan is. And I pray that over our families, over our children and our grandchildren in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Thank you.